Isaiah 11, and if you recall what so often is happening in Isaiah is that God is showing Isaiah, this is what my coming kingdom is going to look like. And uh, it's, it's the, the rays of hope that we find in the midst of, God's, in midst of God's impending judgment upon Judah. And in Isaiah 11 and verse 6, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is an idealized vision of the kingdom of Christ. And when we look at this, we see all members working in harmony together toward their common goal of God's glorification. And you look at the details here, the, these animals that should not be together, really, that actually should be fighting against each other, or one should, should be prey of another. They're, they're together in peace. God's called us from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds. Let me suggest to you that there are people in here that I, you know, I probably would never have met if it hadn't been for Jesus, for, for, for Christ. God's peace between us is a perfect peace. The vision that he has for us is perfect. And let me suggest, too, when you consider this, these are things, these are features that God expects for his children, kingdom citizens to have, his children to have. And some people look at this, these passages and say, well, that's all well and good, but you know, it's easier said than done. I really don't think it's that hard if we allow God to work in our lives. If we tear down the things that society tells us to build up, the walls that the world encourages us to build so that we feel safe, Let's tear down those walls and allow God to build the walls that we need to have. We're peaceful people. In seeking peace, we need to be earnest about that. Look back at uh, 1 Peter 1. It's a really great phrase here that Peter uses that I think helps us to understand the sincerity that's needed among God's people. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. King James Version renders this as unfeigned. The meaning is undisguised or sincere. It's, it, you're not trying to hide anything. You're not putting on a mask. Now I recognize there are times we go through that are tough and maybe we just have to grin and bear it and we get through it. But generally we have to make sure that we are not putting on a show. You See, see we're not here to put on a show this morning. We're not here to, to put on a show for each other. We're not here to put on a show as far as the whole worship, and I think most of us know that, and we get that. 
But there are so many Christians that, that I don't think get that. I think they expect you know, church to be this perfect place that we're already, we're okay, we're going to act like we're okay. And if we act like we're okay, that makes it real. Look at the reason. Again, he beckons his brothers and sisters to love out of purity, right? Sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart, not out of conscription. Not to the point where I say, well, I know I've got to love my brother. And I recognize that, 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 again, there are times where we have to do that. But look at the reason. In verse 23, we're born again. We don't act like the world. We don't have friends just because they're friendly to us. We don't love people just because they love us. Right? Jesus talked about that. We're not like the rest of the world. Some families, again, at reunions will act like they love each other, but maybe they've got whole bunch of undercurrents underneath that that might betray that. If we have been truly reborn by God's word, we will be earnest, we'll be unfeigned with each other and pure, and especially even if we're not related by blood. So we're not born again. We've been born again. We need to be pure with each other. So we're earnest. We need to be real. That's what we're talking about. A lack of genuineness, however, is going to destroy peace. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy 1. One of the common things you find about what's said about false teachers and those who embrace wickedness in the New Testament is this, uh, the, the abandonment of the loving heart, the abandonment of the soft heart that God can mold into what He wants it to be. Um, Jesus prophesied about those who uh, you know, the love of the love of many will wax cold. Right? And he's talking about uh, the prophecies about later on in that in that century. But look at verse three of First Timothy one. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside the idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. There are times when brethren can get caught up by even spiritual or worldly hobbies. We understand that it will pull us away from what will benefit us most. While we speculate on certain matters of the world, we worry about the news, we worry about different things happening, uh, we, we, we leave an opportunity to show love and support by. We leave it alone sometimes. And again, even in, even in terms of study, we might be thinking of unanswered questions concerning Scripture, and we spend so much time studying individually, right? And we need that. But let me suggest that, that we need to be participating together as well. We need to be showing love to each other. And sometimes it's difficult, right? Sometimes we're, we're not really built that way. Sometimes we just feel like, well, I'm just not really a social person. But God gives us the tools to be close. And in fact, when we're not close as we ought to be. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, excuse, yeah, 2 Corinthians 6, actually. 
Look at the standard of love among the saints in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 1. Just think about, does this, how does this work in terms of me? Does this describe me along with my brothers and sisters in Christ? So 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything, that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, and distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Note after this how he talks about uh, the basically leveling an accusation against them. And if you look at verses 11 down, He's saying, you know, listen, we've spoken to you openly. Our heart is wide open. We're right here. And basically Paul is saying to them, we're real. We're right here. But the accusation for the Corinthians is, in verse 12, you're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. You're holding back. You're holding back from each other. That's what Paul is telling the Corinthian brethren. And he's, he's building up this case essentially in these verses that we just read that look at what we are, and this is what we ought to be. And the, the dichotomy here, the back and forth, like we're this way, but we're actually this way, you know, we may seem like in certain ways to the world, but this is really who we are. And the wonderful thing about that is if we embrace this and we try to have that genuine love, we talked about it this morning, how is that going to look to the world? Sometimes it's going to look at something that's bad. People actually will be scared of, right? But sometimes you'll have people with honest hearts that recognize and see that genuineness and sincerity among us. That's why we need to be striving for this. I mean, certainly, I say that's not the only reason why. Primarily, it's because God wants us to be this way. But if we're not real with each other, it gets back to those false teachers that embrace this false sense of, you know, have you ever talked to somebody and, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to push for something that, that just is not scriptural and they carry themselves as if they're, they're, they've got it figured out. Oh, you know, I, I recognize that. I know, you know, I'm not what I ought to be. And they talk about the grace of God. But in reality, what they're doing is they're putting up this front for really a wickedness that they're trying to promote with each other. Think about this, Romans 12:10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. This is not a suggestion, I believe. I don't even really think this is something, I, of course Paul would be pleading toward this, 
But I read this as a command, personally. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And this is a valuing for each other. That's what honor is talking about. We're valuing each other and appreciating each other. And so, again, James 2.12, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So there's a, there's a lot of things for us to consider and think about, and that's why I say, as we consider these expressions of love, as we will over the last few minutes of this lesson, let's remember that, that these outer expressions are pointless if they're not done genuinely. And so someone who comes, you know, someone who tries to hug you without really the meaning behind it, and maybe they're doing it, you know, I, 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 how easy is it to think of politicians kissing babies? You know, why are they kissing babies? You know, do they really love that child? No, not really. They're trying to look good. And again, this gets back to some other things that we see in terms of the Pharisees, like we talked about in the first hour out here in the auditorium. You know, when we're looking at these expressions, the, the option is for us just to make sure that, okay, we gotta, we got to work out this thing. we got to know. we got to do these expressions and these expressions. And let me, let me say to you that there is one expression that we're going to look at that if we treat it that way, uh, if we treat it very literally, then, uh, you know, I'm not sure that that will be the best way to go about it. We'll, we'll look at that in just a minute. Um, but you might turn to these passages. I, I'm just going to briefly go over them. Um, most of them are going to stretch from Acts on. But how do we see the brethren treating each other? That's really a good question that we need to consider. And one of the main expressions that we find in the New Testament is the laying on of hands. Acts 6 and verse 6, excuse me, you remember the uh, controversy there that some of the uh, Hellenist widows, uh, Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, <laughs> uh, felt like they were being neglected in the daily ministration. And so the apostles uh, told them to seek out the brethren, to seek out men among them that uh, would appoint, be appointed over the business. And uh, so the apostles, they had prayed and they laid hands on them. So this point was from the apostles toward those chosen to attend the daily distribution for the widows in Jerusalem, the widows that had been neglected, some thought. And what did that do? Well, I don't think that in this particular case that this gave them miraculous or spiritual gifts. Now, again, we can talk about the details here, but uh, it seems like it recognized their special place of being chosen for this work. That, in fact, if you go back to verse 3, men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So, uh, again, it gets back to the idea of when we consider elders and deacons. Some people say these are actually deacons being chosen here. I'm not sure about that. But um, this concept that we're going to recognize those that the Holy Spirit has chosen. And we're looking at that from a standpoint that this is what they already are. So that, there, there we have laying on of hands in that way. Laying on of hands in Acts 8 and verse 17. Uh, this is from Peter and John to Christians who had not received spiritual gifts. And what that did was confer spiritual gifts upon them. And if you remember, Simon the sorcerer offered money for this same gift, and he's, he's rebuked by Peter pretty swiftly about that. So you, you can't buy your way into this. That's what this laying on of hands did in that particular case. Acts 9.17 
Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so Ananias toward Saul. And really, I would say this laying on of hands, think about this. This is before Paul has been baptized, right? I would suggest that this could simply be an indication of Jewish brotherhood. He calls him Brother Saul. But again, he wasn't yet a Christian. We can recognize that if we harmonize it all together. He hadn't been baptized uh, in water for the remission of his sins yet, but he calls him Brother Saul. Now, someone may argue, well, see, he was already a Christian, but think about it. Both of these men were Jews, and they would have had that Jewish brotherhood among them. So I think that's what this is indicating. The only other possibility is that this laying on of hands was, was a part of his spiritual healing and receiving his sight again. Acts 13.3, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. In context, this is certain prophets and teachers laying their hands on Barnabas and Saul. And what did this laying on of hands do? Well, again, I think it's very much like Acts 6. It recognized their special place of being chosen by the Holy Spirit for the missionary journey they're about to undertake. The laying on of hands there. Acts 19.6, when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Remember, these are people who uh, had not been baptized into Christ yet, and they didn't know anything about a Holy Spirit, and they were baptized, uh, and Paul laid their hands on them. And I, again, I think this laying on of hands conferred spiritual gifts there because obviously it shows the Holy Spirit came upon them, they spoke with tongues and prophesied. 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul refers to Timothy uh, in this sense, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Again, the eldership being used here toward Timothy. In context, I would say this is the work of the elders encouraging Timothy to study and learn more of God and to teach and preach. Um, one reason I would say that, look at 1 Timothy 4. First Timothy 4 and verse 12, when he says, no, Let no one despise your youth, being example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. And he tells them, you know, in that context, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Verse 15, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. In doing this, you shall save both yourself and those who hear you. So there's nothing in here about spiritual gifts. And, of course, we know that the eldership, whatever elders there were that did this, it was not an impartation of spiritual gifts because elders didn't have that power and don't have that power today. So that's what we have in that passage. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now the laying on of his hands, of Paul's hands, might suggest that Timothy had spiritual gifts. I don't think personally, that it forces that concept, but 
could have been spiritual gifts, but it also could refer to the same concept uh, as what we saw earlier, the eldership laying their hands upon them, using his talents for the kingdom in preaching and teaching. Now, this is where I think if we become literal with this, uh, it presents um, some problems. We find the holy kiss as being a common greeting among saints in Scripture. Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. 1 Corinthians 16, 20, all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, if we apply, I'm sorry, one more. 1 Thessalonians 5, 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. If we apply what we typically do with scriptures, what does this mean? If we take this as literal commandments, you know, we need to be doing what a lot of people over in Europe do, right? That's kind of a cultural thing over there. But I would suggest that that's exactly what this is, is a cultural aspect. Remember, we're talking about expressions of love in a particular culture that is not the same as our culture. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, we, we, we can decide, we need to be willing to discern what are the timeless commands and what are the commands that really had some aspect on culture here. I'm not sure that these are commands exactly on the basis of the literal kiss. Uh, but I do think there is an aspect here that we need to appreciate, that there were outward expressions of their love toward each other and their closeness toward each other. And every society has that. Every culture has that. And it's, this is, I think if someone were to say, no, it must be a holy kiss, literally, it kind of gets back to the whole thing of like, well, do we need to wear robes and sandals? Is that, you know, how far are we going to go with this? Um, but this is a common greeting among saints in Scripture, and we need to appreciate that and appreciate that closeness that, that was there and that needs to be among each other. A couple more, and then the lesson will be yours. Uh, Really, this was a sign of deep affection and love. Um, we find in the New Testament people going up to Jesus, greetings rabbi, and kissed him. Luke 7:38 stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. In Luke 15:20, he arose and came to his father. He was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And then in Acts 20, 37, they all wept freely. Remember when Paul is leaving Ephesus? They all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. That, that deep affection and love, that's precisely what we need. And I would say as well, just in an Old Testament example, the closeness of David and Jonathan is something to really appreciate. 1 Samuel 20, 41, as soon as the lad had gone... David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed three times, and they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. They're saying goodbye to each other there. Um, and let me say this, too. You know, while we're on this, I think there's a tendency for men to, for us to be really stoic and just say, oh, we're going to be tough, and any kind of, you know, outward expression like that, we're just too tough for that. Uh, the, I would say there's a need among brethren for us to have relationships like David and Jonathan where you find another brother who you can be close enough to that you share things with. 
that you have that close relationship. Of course, not closer than your wife or things like that. But there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with this relationship with, between David and Jonathan. And so we, we can appreciate that and see that, that God appreciates that. All right, uh, then finally, we have what's called in Galatians 2 the right hand of fellowship. And I think that's something that we all tend to even observe today. Galatians 2.9, when James, Cephas, and John, who seem to be pillars, perceived the grace that had give, been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Uh, again, all of these are outer expressions. We need to make sure that we don't institutionalize these and say, you know, have the wrong perspective and say, well, we've got to be doing this and this and this. Let's work on the heart and understand that we need to be close to each other. We need to be real with each other and appreciate what we have. And I think those other expressions, outer expressions, will, will take care of themselves. We'll see those things among each other and among others who are doing the right thing. Well, I know this isn't a Bible class. I, you know, that last section, it just started to feel like it. But um, I appreciate so much your attention during the lesson. One of the greatest things about God is that He is genuine. He is open and clear to us, and He shows us that He loves us. And we need to allow Him to guide us to true expressions of love that come from the heart sincerely. But let me suggest that if you're not a Christian, you can't even begin to love like Jesus has loved you. And uh, if you have decided this morning that that's something that you want to do, we want to help you with that journey and study with you and think with you about these things. And certainly if you're ready to be baptized, we want to make that happen as well. If you are a Christian and you recognize that there are some things that are out of where you've been, and maybe even in this lesson there are some ways that you haven't been as loving as you ought to be, change. We all need to change. We all need to think about these things and earnestly keep them in heart. But whatever your needs are, please come while we stand and sing.